Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and USA Today Network. I am Graham Couch, joined by Chris Solari from the Detroit Free Press, and uh, also, in a little bit, to be joined by our Nate Bott from the Lansing State Journal as we discuss some MSU hockey. Uh, First, we are going to get into MSU basketball, which lost Tuesday night to Iowa, 78-71, a home loss. Uh, their worst loss in a while, and maybe their worst loss of the season in some regards. Uh, we'll get into that shortly, and then we'll delve into uh, happier things over at Michigan State with the way uh, MSU hockey is playing and the chance they have to be a one seed in the NCAA tournament to wrap up the Big Ten title perhaps as early as this weekend uh, against Ohio State, depending on what happens with Wisconsin. But first, hoops. A game that I think shows that this team, when it is not fully dialed in, uh, has issues that it its matchup problems uh, that we've we've known exist can can come home to roost in any venue, and uh, I think it's left a lot of fans frustrated. It is not, I don't think, put Michigan State back on the NCAA tournament bubble, um, and anybody who tells you so, please please don't listen to them. But it does mean they, they, they can't screw around too many more times. And it does, I think, hurt their chance at a decent seed, something better than a 7 or 8 in the NCAA tournament. It hurts their chances at a double bye in the Big Ten tournament. It was a costly loss and one that was a little alarming because I thought Iowa looked like the better team. Chris, how are you? I'm doing well. And, yeah, I, I think that if you looked at that game, um, you know, I would have liked to have seen that game on maybe an extra day rest for Michigan State because that five five out of action that Iowa runs and some of the backdoor cuts that they do. I mean, it's kind of – I asked some of the guys about that. How tough is that to prep for uh, in a short time? And I said it's just tough no matter what. Um, but, you know, you're right about the dialed-in factor. If there's anything about this team that we've learned, it's that it it is consistently inconsistent. And I think that's, you know, and that's, I know that Tom Izzo has said this, and I know other people have said this, it's going on all around the country, but at this point of the year, when you, when you have such a, you go from a, a second half performance at Michigan where your defense looked impenetrable to that game against Iowa where you couldn't stop any layups, uh, it, I mean, it's, you know, I don't know what you do. I don't know if you you just kind of scrap it. I mean, Tom Izzo was asked about that. He's like, I learn everything from a game. I don't scrap anything. But, you know, you sometimes you just got to quickly move on from it and not worry about it. So I, I this that was, do you, do you look at that as an anomaly over the last two months of good basketball for the most part? 
I don't know. I mean, there's still the you still had the Northwestern game in there, and you know, I know Tom Izzo said that there were games where they didn't play well. Uh, that this one was an anomaly, but there 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 have been times where they didn't play well. There have been halves where they don't play well, and um, yeah, this this was it, it was a weird game. Just it, it's had a weird vibe to it all around. Yeah, I mean, I I think the the problem with this game was that. What we saw is matchups become a problem. I thought the worst yes. thing for Michigan State is that Iowa looked like the better team, and it, it looked like a game they could lose if they played it again and again and again because Iowa has big wings, and you see Michigan State doesn't have great size there in certain ways. And Grown man strength. and in, Well, in the interior, yeah, yeah it, was, it was a real problem. And, you know, you give up 18 points and 14 rebounds to another mid-major transfer, a kid from Valpo just down the road, yep. uh, you know, and, and, you know, another guy that, you know, you can point to and say um, Tom Izzo could have had, right, if they wanted, or or, or sh- the type of player they could have gotten, and, and you pair him uh, with, with one of the other bigs, and you have a, a, you know, a better situation down there. I don't think it's it's quite that simple, and we'll get into that here in a little bit, just on the, the, the transfer um situation at the five and whether Tom Izzo should have done something. I think it's clear at this point that he should have, but the the problem is I can see the dynamic, why it wasn't as clear cut, yeah. who and how in, in getting somebody. Well, think about it this way. Did he have the 30 minutes a game to give that Cricky's getting at Iowa? Well, that that's a good question. Uh, the question that would, is that what Cricky wanted? Ben Cricky, we're talking right. about the, uh, right. the, 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 the power forward at Iowa. And, you know, how much does the lure of Michigan State and Izzo matter? Uh, certainly they could have gotten somebody to compete in there and, and maybe giving you some better options. Um, I, I do think at this point, though, when Izzo gets up there post game and he's angry like he was and he was disappointed in his team, part of the disappointment has to be in himself, though. He created this roster that doesn't have enough in some of these matchups to win because they don't have the interior presence to win. And so... It, it, it's on him, right? And now, there's nothing that can be done at this point, and so you're trying to get the most out of it. And, and within the season, he needs his guys to play better, his guys to develop. And I thought there were things that, you know, there were some promising signs in there. There were some, um, I think, probably promising signs in terms of what they're realizing with Mati Sissoko and, and not um, overusing him where he's not giving them much. And I don't take much, Chris, from, uh, from Izzo saying, uh, you know that that Sissoko that he probably should have gone back to Sissoko and played him more. I think that's Izzo just trying to be a contrarian in the moment. I think they would have done it if they thought that was the best option. I yeah. think he's just he's just angry and he's just saying things and and I don't take a whole. I, I really don't take much from that. I, if they wanted to play Sissoko, they would have played Sissoko. Right now, he's not one of their you know best two options at center, and you know and um, I. I did think Jackson Kohler played pretty well at times. Not, you know, look, he's got some limitations, but I thought defensively at three blocks he was uh, in the right places, didn't fall for pump fakes. I thought he was even, I think Cooper has more upside defensively and is sometimes better just as a natural athlete there, but Cooper fell for some pump fakes. He had a few yeah. miss, missteps there. I, I thought Kohler was better than him at sometimes yesterday. And then I thought Xavier Booker, you know, playing the four and, and five and being a guy who came in late in the back in late in the first half had a really good moment on Cricky, and I was a little surprised they didn't go back to him to see what he could do. Yeah, I mean, you know, first to Izzo, um, I think he cannot he cannot dwell and fixate 
on the problem he has to do and fix. And that's, I think, the big thing that needs to happen. And, you know, I asked him about the... What does that mean? Well, for example, I I asked him about the Kohler injury and how much that maybe set back some of the discovery. Because um, you have to figure out your your pairs, right? I mean, that's that's always been his thing. you got to figure out which guys can cover up the limitations of each other and which guys can, uh, you know, be your, not just your best offensive defense, but you got to have the screening involved. Um, you have to be able to have the help defense, uh, all the things that, that they need from the bigs. Like you got to figure that out. Like you got to, and you didn't have a non-conference schedule to figure, okay, Jackson Kohler can do this and his his best attributes are highlighted when he's paired with, be it Sissoko or Cooper or Malik Hall or you know what I mean. You you have to. I mean, there's no there's no tinkering that can be done in a non conference setting because Jack and Kohler didn't come back until Big Ten play, and it, you know we talked about that ad nauseum over the years when a guy has an injury. There's there's the the time that comes back uh, for him to get into game shape and, and understand the things, but there's also the time for the coaching staff and the team to kind of reevaluate and become what it will become. There's, there's, and you know, now, I mean, part of this is that Kohler's progressed, right? I mean, you know, he had, he physically was able to do a couple minutes a game, a couple minutes a game. Now's the point right now where you can say Jackson Kohler can play 15 minutes a game or more. And how do we get those best 15 minutes out of him and for our team? So that's what I mean by about doing. I mean, it's yeah. it, it, it's not a linear thing. It's not like you can just say, well, Jackson Kohler's back, so they're going to be able to do this. No, I mean, and, you know, from as far as Sissoko – I mean, you know, that's a fixed problem. I mean, you got to fix his head right now because he's just not altogether there. And really, since that game, you know, when he told the coaching staff he learned his grandmother died in Mali, um, you know, that's that's where Izzo's coming from when he said on Monday about the human element of this. Um, But there's also the understanding that, hey, we got to win games now. We, We can't. There's there's a lot to fix, I think, over the last five games of the regular season that, you know, you probably didn't have, if you're Tom Izzo, any real time to do that because of the Kohler injury. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think there are two components to this. One is, I mean, I, I understand a little bit why they didn't get a five in the offseason. In hindsight, it's clear they needed to do it. Yeah. But if, if you're if you're Tom Izzo and his staff, you're looking. You, you go back to last summer. You've got Xavier Booker coming in, a true freshman who they've admitted they thought would be a little more ready than he is, even in their own evaluations of him. You've got Carson Cooper, who took major strides within the season, who you think is going to take an, a, another significant step and has to some degree. But I thought I think they thought maybe he'd take a little bit bigger step. You have Sissoko, who bulked up to try to be able to defend bigs, and, and I think they thought he'd have more success. And then you have Kohler, who's reshaping his body, who you think's a really intriguing prospect. And but and even though 
Booker isn't necessarily a five. He's going to be able to defend the five with, with, with some weight on him at times. And I think between those four guys, they thought they'd be okay. Uh, between And then with Hall at the four, I, I just think they thought they'd be okay. They thought they'd be as good as most of the guys they could bring into the portal. And then, you know, are you going to um, are you going to lose one of those guys? Now, they had signed letters of intent, so I don't think it wasn't like they were definitely going to transfer. And I think you could have gotten a, a, a grad transfer five, ga- uh, five guy. Um like the guy at Nebraska who was at Bradley, who's you know a one-year dude who's, who's been really effective. Um, and, and again, a lot of guys are trying. It's, it's not like there's a million of these guys, but there's enough of them if you're Michigan State to have a chance at them. I understand a little bit why they thought they'd be okay. Um, they cannot make that mistake, I don't think, this offseason entirely because um, you know, you're, you're, you, you've seen it now at the five. And you're losing Malik Hall, so you're, you're counting on Booker to play the four. And if somebody transfers, you know, you're just going to have to deal with that. And, 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 and you hope they stick around and compete. Um, but, but that's the reality of it. You know, you, you can't, you know, you, you made the mistake once, and, and it was a mistake I don't think. Tom Izzo doesn't want to not be able to win a, a, a compete for a title with, with Tyson Walker and A.J. Hogard and, and Jaden Akins and Malik Hall because he didn't get a five, right? That's not – I mean, if you – he, he would that's not what he's trying to do, not get the most out of those guys, and that's what's going to happen. So it wasn't like they didn't – you know, they intended to to be stubborn, I don't think, because Izzo will say, you know, he doesn't want to overuse the portal, but when he thought he needed a point guard, he wouldn't have gotten Tyson Walker. And that was done not to play Walker's role he is now. That's because they didn't know what Hogard was going to become. They didn't think they had a point guard, and he, you have to have a point guard. You have to have a five. And if he thought he needed a five, I think they would have got, gone and got one. It was just a misevaluation and projection yeah. of, of the guys that he had. But again, you know, when that decision had to be made, he had a healthy Jackson Kohler. Right, but is Kohler? I, I mean, you're, you're talking, but you're talking about he, he had three guys. He had three guys to split sixty minutes. But what I'm saying is, are any of them, are any of them starting fives in the Big Ten defensively? Um. I mean, defensively, maybe, but I mean, I, I think between Cooper and Sissoko, I mean, there's your defensive guys. He was hoping, but well, they haven't held up though. They got those guys got trucked yesterday. Well, I mean, I mean it, it, on, but again, it's it, that's one game. I mean, sure. the the, the bigger problem the bigger problem is the issues that they've had with consistency and rebounding and consistent and not just consistency, any kind of scoring. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a five on four situation on offense. I mean, that's, I mean, it, it's all well and good to be a great screener, but you have to be able to catch a pass and put it in when you're three feet from the basket. And, and that's, and that's what they, that's what they don't have right now. And Kohler could be that guy. And they hope they, they believe Kohler was that guy in and Cooper in, in June and July and then August. And then Kohler got hurt. So, and again, you got three guys to divvy up 60 minutes. Where are you going to bring in another guy? Where are you going to, or 40 minutes, excuse me. Yeah. Where are you going to bring in another guy and, and give those, some of those 40 minutes to, and, and you got, and you got, and if you're bringing in an experienced guy, you're not bringing in a guy who says, I'm coming just to get, you know, six minutes a game. Here's my pushback. My, my argument would be this. And, and again, I, you know, I, I mean, I get what they, they, they thought they had. If you recruit a, a one-year transfer, a, a grad transfer, 
you are not giving up on Cooper and Cola. Those guys are, are were, were sophomores this year. You can say that, but do they believe it? Well, that, if one of them leaves, one of them leaves. They're, they're, this isn't Akeem Olajuwon here. But, like, but if you, if you uh, had uh, one of them leave in August, you're back in the same situation you are now. Not necessarily. Not if you have a better five as a transfer. You, you have the same numbers, but you might have a better solution there uh, as, in terms of a defensive big. The only guy you're essentially saying we don't believe in is Monty Sissoko, which is not something they wanted to do, and, and they miscalculated there. And I still, you're right, but I want to get back to Sissoko too because I do think there is something in Sissoko's head right now where he is, look, Monty Sissoko is a limited player, and he should play a limited role, but I, he, we've seen him be more effective than this. Yes. And, and, and I do think he's lost some confidence and they're, you know they're trying to keep his confidence by starting him and figuring we can you know bake in you know three minutes to the front of each half and if there's another stint then you know he's still getting some time and he still feels like the starting center um, because there's a guy that you know number one they got to stop going to him in the post because when when you go to I mean it doesn't help his confidence when he's not a post player and he turns around and you know shoots an air ball or misses a misses a, a, a you know and it's it's essentially a turnover and I. I I understand the concept behind giving bigs touches but and keeping them involved, but you don't need to do that with Sissoko. You just tell him, we need you to be all-out rebounder. We need you to be Ben Wallace. We need you to be Dennis Rodman. We need you to, to use your elbows, be a pain in the butt out there, fly around, be intense. And, and you're not seeing that from him because he could be a problem for people, or at least a, a, a pain to deal with for people for 10, 15 minutes a game, and he's not right now. And, and so if he's not going to be, you can't play him, but you got to figure out if you can get that guy back because that would be helpful for this team. You can argue that, yes, Sissoko has not worked out as a recruit, has not worked out to what they hoped as a player, has not all that stuff. The bottom line is he's on your team. He's got some athleticism. He's too short to be the you know the, the player I think they'd like him to be. Um, but he, you, you still got to try and get the most out of him, the most out of these guys, and try and get the most out of the season. And um, they, they got to figure that out with him. Yeah, and, and I mean, listen, he's played seven minutes and five minutes the last two games. Um, the the seven minutes against Michigan, I think, if you looked at that, that was fairly, I would say, matchup dependent. Um, it's hard to say where he would have been in this Iowa game if he didn't pick up those two early fouls and then sit 18 minutes. Um, that didn't help. I mean, that, that doesn't help his case to make – you know, the coaching staff trust him and give him, you know, the 20 minutes a game he had been getting or so. Um, but, I mean, it has been a gradual phase-out. I mean, he played 10 minutes against Illinois. Uh, he played 18 at Penn State, then 7 at Michigan, and 5 against Iowa. So, and, you know, he played 10 minutes against Maryland, which was a bad matchup for him. So, I mean, it, it is it, – and you're still going to need him. I mean, you know, I, I think if I want to make – a, a Ben Carter analogy here, uh, bear with me. Like you don't want to. You're just like you're just going to light a match for the entire fan base here. Well, but in and again, I, and I, I'll go back to what we what I said at that point. The Ben Carter decision in that Syracuse game makes sense um, if you had been giving Ben if you had been giving Ben Carter, you know, five to ten minutes a game, at least keeping him active and involved. I mean, they brought him in in that game fairly cold. But at the same point, he still did the things he needed to do 
in that game in setting how many threes did they take in that Syracuse game? I mean, he's right. He, yeah. yeah, he was operating the high post and getting the guy's shots. They weren't hitting them. Um, and that's what Mati Sissoko needs to do. And he's been given the minutes. He's had that. But you're right. He's got to be a, a guy crashing the boards. Um, he He's had four straight games with one rebound. You know, I mean, th- that's inexcusable for a guy that size. And, you know, the screen Well, for, well, for mean, a guy who's playing that position. And, and rebounding look, is, is... Look, he's got seven fouls to four rebounds in the last four games. That's... Yeah. It, what are you doing? You can't... And, and, and your coaching staff, you have to give him a game off. You know, give him a mental health game. Whatever you got to do. Um, and But you, you at the same point, it's not like you have a lot of options here. I think you have two better options than him. I do, and and, and that's the the problem. And this is where I just disagree. But with they can't. Rizzo. But they can't play forty. They can't play the full forty. Or maybe they can, and you just have. Cooper haven't. and Kohler can play twenty apiece. Absolutely, they could. I'm not saying you don't play Sissoko at all. Again, I, I would I would play him in a limited role. Um, I would you know I don't know if I'd start him. I don't really care if he starts. I don't think that's that big a deal. Their starts have not been bad. Like it'd be one thing if like every game still they were like early on they were getting off to bad starts. Be like well, this is a correlation, and early on like. Every game they were getting off to rough starts, and A.J. Hogard was getting pulled at the same time Sissoko was, and it was like, hey, there's a correlation here. It, it's, yeah. it's not really fair if Hogard's in there with you know, Sissoko, and then everybody thinks he's not playing well when he's playing four-on-five offensively, and then you pull him out. Yeah, that, that's the th- you're right. That, that's a great point. That, and, and, and that's kind of what I was saying about um, finding the pairs. It's a five-on-five game out there. Like you got, okay, you got to think about it. How do these guys mesh together? And that's that's not necessarily just as easy as subbing one for one, and it's not so. And it also isn't just a center issue against Iowa. Certainly, I mean they they have had oh, yeah. they've had issues at, at, at center all season to some degree, and and they you know they were unable to overcome them, and partly because they didn't have the sense of urgency to them, they didn't have a sense of purpose that they've had. And Iowa, frankly, and they and they, they were you could see their size on the wing becomes an issue. Where where, where Jaden Akins, I think, would be almost better off as a, as a two like Aiken's a, a terrific college player um but he's he's only six four and you, you do play wings that are bigger and Cohen Carr is not quite ready to a, you know fully attack a zone and, and be a, a a plus player on offense all the time although I think he's doing a much better job getting to the basket he's also he's also undersized on that wing at six five I mean yeah, this, this, as much as this team is missing size. well as much as this team's missing a center it's missing a a complimentary wing that matches Malik Hall's size, right? You know, 6'7", six, 6'8", six, athletic. I mean, it's just it's not there on this roster. No, it's a, it's a small it's a small lineup and, and you saw that the size came and hurt them last night, but it, but also they've they've over they got to, you know, they can overcome that in a lot of matchups. They just you know, they didn't play with a lot of great intent or focus early on and they sort of admitted that. I think one of the things that happens and this is a little natural, even if you're a senior-laden team, is when you've won, when the home games have looked the way they have, and even when you've had games where it's been close for a half or you've trailed in the second half, you've had a spurt where you've been able to pull away, and it, you've been winning for two months at home without a whole lot of, um, you know, without a defeat, you think that's going to happen. And it would have probably happened against Iowa if it had been tied or they'd been down five at halftime, but they got way behind. And, you know, and Iowa played really well. Iowa's got something to play for. Iowa is probably Iowa's got. A, you look at Iowa's schedule the rest of the way. They have two games left with Illinois, including a home game. If they win, I think like three of their final four, including one of those Illinois games, 
they're they might be in the NCAA tournament. They're they're turning things around here. They just beat Wisconsin. They beat Michigan State. They've got some things going for them. They've got a lot to play for too. That's not a bad team. You've got a you know they just didn't didn't show. And Davis Smith apparently got into them in the locker room about it, which. Part of the Michigan State's problem right now is Davis Smith is their best leader, <laughs> which is yeah. not, yep. and and he can't defend the post or he's not playing you know multiple you know big minutes, um, so I you know they that that is you 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 have to treat every game with intent uh, and it w- was a tricky matchup as it turned out because of the zone they play I give them credit for doing yeah. that they're out coached in that sense and um, they have a you know they have some size on the wings and they have some veterans and they 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 looked very together and they didn't look rattled by the environment at all and you know that it all added up to to, to trouble for for msu yeah you kind of you kind of knew it like maybe five eight minutes in when everything was kind of really early, back yeah. and forth i mean even before that 15 to 1 run uh, at the end of the first half which really ultimately did michigan state in and going 7 to 14 at the free throw line didn't help uh, in a seven point game of course but um you know, early on, you could just see that that there was they were not phased at all. Even when Breslin would get loud, even when Breslin got its loudest last night down the stretch after Michigan State cut it to I think six, um, they did not. They really didn't flinch at all, and they they made big plays. A guy like Tony Perkins, I mean that that drive that he had and that. I don't even know what to call it, like a, a scoop throw um, that went like probably about 15 feet in the air and then kind of just dropped through. I mean, that was a big play because it, it was, a you know, every time you saw one bucket like that go in that probably shouldn't have, I think everyone kind of realized this wasn't the night. Yeah, and you, you, you can kind of see it. Like one of the things I like about where we sit, Chris, is that, you can see early in games sometimes whether a team is going to be able to play with them or not. Like, what what's the matchup? And, and, you know, I remember the James Madison game at the beginning of the year. I didn't know James Madison was going to beat them. But right away I was like, okay, these guys are not only good enough to hang in this game, they believe they're going to win, and you could just you could just tell. And, and that's something you can sometimes, you, you know, you can really see when you're close up to guys like that. And you could tell last night. You know, this is still a Michigan State team that had won a lot of games at home. It had won three straight. It had beaten Illinois. It had gone to Michigan and taken care of business. It looked really thorough in its win at Penn State and and picked up where Tyson Walker only had six points and a lot of other guys stepped up. Like, there, there was a lot of good things happening. And all of those good things don't go away because you have one loss. The problem with this one loss is that it was off script, sort of like the Minnesota game, but, but worse because it's at home. And... If you're Michigan State and you're pushing to get a six seed, maybe even a five if things really went well and, and, and you 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 know won some games at the Big Ten tournament or 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 you know did something against Purdue and played them twice and beat them once or whatever and had a better path in the postseason, this makes that more difficult. Not impossible. Again, you could do something off script like beat Purdue and all of a sudden it changes the the, the discord. But but if you beat Ohio State and you beat Northwestern at home, and you go to Indiana and win, which won't be a, a, it's not a given at all. Um, neither are the other two home games, but you know I, I I do think that they'll they'll likely win those, and there'll be a response to this, and they have some time off. And you lose to Purdue, and then you go in as a, I still think there's a decent chance they're a four seed. Everybody thinks the double buy is gone, but they went into last night with the uh, is a um, 
in a three-way tie for the third seed. And while Wisconsin has the um, tiebreaker with them, if they beat Northwestern at home, I'm not sure where that tiebreaker will be. Northwestern's without Barry now. I, I think there's a decent chance yeah. MSU is still the four, four seed at the end of this. It'll be they they wouldn't have been in a three way tie if they beat Northwestern either. Right. But, That's a good point. Um, I, I think in looking at it, I mean, if in the scenario as of yesterday, as of of, of yeah. going into that game. Michigan State, if they were somehow in a three-way tie with those two teams, would have been the third team because the head-to-head record I, – I, I, it's not head-to-head. It's when you get into a three-way tie situation, It's and it's not even among the group. I think it's among the top however many seeds above you and and, and the group. So it, it's a weird, complicated situation. Uh, Think I I ran some of the scenarios and projections at that point. I think Michigan State was like one and four uh, yeah. in in those games that that would have been counted on that. But but again, right now, I mean, you know, you you think that they could do that. I mean, there's, there's still with five games, there's still a lot of basketball left around the conference. And can they get something better than a a seven eight in in the, in the NCAA tournament? That's really what you know their focus needs to be because it's just. It's not that they can't beat a lot of two seeds that are out there. Um, there are a lot of flawed teams in this country. It's just if they can get to a six, it's more likely they're going to face a team that is more at their in their realm in that second round if, if, if they get to the second round. Um, and if you're looking to make a run, you're looking to do that. If you're a six and you get to play an 11, a three, and then a two, that is better than you know um, facing a, a, a – you know, a, a two or, or uh, right away, or a, a, you know, being an eight and facing a one in the second round. If if, if you get there, um, again, th- there are so many signs of this team that a run is going to be difficult. But we've also seen them. We saw the last year in the postseason. We've seen them at times. We, we all know a run. They're capable of a run. We all know they're matchup dependent. But those matchups could fall in their favor, and uh, they have guys that on a given night can can beat somebody. They're just they're just making it a lot harder on themselves right now. They need, they need, you know, Malik Hall, when you look at the numbers of last night, Chris, like Malik Hall uh, and, you know, Walker, all good, Hogard, good numbers, but they, they didn't play that well. Like I, yeah, Malik I'm, Hall was really absent for a while. Well, I don't say absent the wrong word, but he was ineffective for a while. I think the double teams got to him a little bit. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, Hogard missed a ton of layups. Which uh, he, costly. Hogard was scoreless in the first half. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he tried to take over late, but he yeah. was zero for four in the fir- at halftime. Missed, I think, two layups in that. Um, and you know, the one thing about missed layups is they don't. You know, if you say missed layups, it doesn't count short floaters in the paint either, which to me is like a layup. If you're in, if you're a point guard inside the paint, it's like a layup. Um, but that doesn't count against the layup. But just at the basket, and he he took credit for it after the game, um, or blame, I guess you could say. Um, he said, I got to make those layups as the, as the point guard. He's like, I, I, I mean, he got there. That's the thing that's kind of, you look at it and it's just such an anomaly because every one of those layups that Hogard missed, he put on a good move and got to the rim. It's what you want him to do. He just, he went long on one. He went short on one. Um, he was pretty good in the second half. He just in the second in the second yeah. half. You know when they came out of halftime, it was clear that the mission was give AJ the ball and get out of his way. And what does he do? He uh, the one he drive he had from the corner along the baseline and 
just kind of, it's a move that I haven't seen him do much or even maybe at all this year where he drove baseline and wasn't trying to get to the middle of the paint. He was going baseline the whole way and laid it up along the backboard. I mean, that those kind of things, I mean, he had 15 in the second half. I mean, that was, you know, but too little too late by that point, right? I mean, you know, the damage was done with some of those missed layups. And, it, you know, to his, you know, there were other guys that missed layups too. I mean, it wasn't just him. And this was this is where Iowa is actually a, a decent opponent because, you know, they, they started to come. I mean, they made their run. And a, a team with not great guard play with without poise and, and certain leadership on the other end would have caved in Breslin and, and, and would have been overwhelmed and taken over as teams sometimes are. That you know that team uh, did not allow it to get to that point. They came back with big buckets when they needed them, got enough done, and were able to hold off. Let let before we before we finish up, let's get into well, positives is, is the right word, but a mm-hmm. couple young guys who um, I thought continue to take some steps in, in very limited roles: uh, Xavier Booker and and Cohen Carr. Um, Booker. Is looked you know better and better. He looked really good against, um, or he looked good against Minnesota. Uh, he's looked. He didn't play against Illinois. He's looked good in every. He looked good against Penn State. Looked good against Michigan in, in limited time. And he looked good last night. He looks like he belongs on offense. Like he knows where to be. And defensively, I, I thought the wa- way he walled up on Cricky was 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 good. And then turned around and got the rebound. I think he's just he's he's become playable. But not only playable, but he's become at times like a guy who might be a plus player. And it, I will be curious to see, and they, they don't go to him or Carr in the second half because games get tight and they ride their four veterans. And they, I, I, I do wonder, though, if when they watch the film of this game, the coaching staff, and they watch Booker's actual performance, they won't realize, boy, that was worth a stint in the second half because he wasn't bad defensively. And the more his, you know, his understanding of things and his intensity catches up with his skill level, and I think we're starting to see it. He becomes a guy that's an intriguing option. If you're looking to raise your ceiling on a season, you need something that to, to be additive late in the year. And and a Booker has a chance to be. Some, I'm not saying in a leading role, but he has a chance to be a, an impact role player uh, at, at the very end. I still think. Yeah, I mean, you're still talking about a guy that's had what, maybe three, four games of double digit minutes. In Booker, um, there's got to be a developing trust. I think. I think, you know, it it, it, it it's so funny because I think the most important thing that, uh, that that Booker's doing is putting it out there for his coaches, saying, "Look, look at me. Look at what I can do here." Um, but even the last two games that he's gotten more run, it's been all in the first half. Well, you got to be able to do that. But I think it's more important to me just seeing the motor there because that was something that didn't exist early in the year. That That's something that didn't exist in some of the practices that we've seen. Um, you could see that there wasn't a um, – there, there he, he existed on the court, whereas the last two games I think – We've seen Booker do a little more than just be he was doing. You kind of going back to what I was saying about Izzo. He was doing the things. He was pushing around. He was establishing position. Um, he was attacking the rebounds. I mean, there. I mean, 
those are the things that the coaching staff has wanted from him. Now they got to, they've given him a little bit of a role now in the first half. Now they got to find out more. And, you know, for Carr, I mean, I mean, the athleticism is so ridiculously there. And, but I mean, you, you're six, five, you got to have somewhat of a jump shot. And he's, anytime he touches the ball around the perimeter, his, he is not looking at the basket at all. And, you kind of need that, though. I, I, I mean, that's at least yeah. If he's playing the Malik Hall position, or if he's playing the Aikens position, you got to have something, even if it's a mid-range shot. It doesn't have to be outside the arc, and he's not looking for anything that's not inside of five feet. I think he's doing a better job, though, of understanding he's got to be moving toward the basket and cutting to the basket. But I agree. Like there are certain lineups, it's harder to play him with. Um, I, you know, one of the things that one of the reasons to, to see more Jackson Kohler is what Kohler creates for the guys. He was whipping the ball around. He didn't have any assists because guys just missed shots. But he he was he he could have had four or five assists. He had some passes that led to buckets of pass later. He had one really nice pass to Carr who cut in and missed, but that you'll take that miss all the time. Tough matchup on the zone. Again, I, I think Cohen Carr's a guy who's earned a second half stint regardless. And because he's shown he can be a difference maker at times and I'd want to explore that. I'll I'll give the coaching staff a, a pass in this regard on that. It was a weird game state. When you find yourself down by that many points and you're looking to make a run and you think the guys who give you the best chance to make a run are your veterans, you want to ride them as much as possible. Um, I thought both guys should have at least played you know, one three-minute stint in the second half. But it was, it was a weird game. I still think both guys are making progress. And if this team is going to be something different in, in, in the postseason at all, it needs – you know, both those guys – I mean, Cohen Carr can be a lot of energy. Xavier Booker is a lot of length and a lot of skill. Like, can you find a way to get that athleticism and energy from Carr, the 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 skill and and and, and length of Booker, and work it to your advantage by the end of the year? Right now, they're getting a little of it in the first half. We're seeing those guys grow. I think that needs to be something they they try to tap into and, and put those guys with the right combination of teammates on the floor uh, to give yourself a chance to get something out of them. I will say this: if you look back. Um, to, and we brought up the Ben Carter situation, but if you look back to that season, um, a guy whose role that, that could really maybe not, I'm not saying they're the same kind of player. I'm saying a development of a role that season was Xavier Tillman. Tillman had a very minimal role until yeah. about this point in the year and then when they got to the Big Ten tournament, he exploded and started getting a lot more run. And then in the NCAA that year, in those two games, he he started to get some run. So, I mean, you know, I'm not saying that uh, they're the same kind of player or they bring the same kind of traits. And, and by the way, this team is 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 really missing that kind of player. I mean, I mean, it's a no dumb moment, right? I mean, it's an NBA guy. Uh, but I'm saying like a fresh freshman Xavier Tillman, no one was saying this guy's going to the NBA. Um, he was a grinder, a big guy that did little things. And that's what this team need. I mean, he had some, he had some size and strength. I think that Booker did. And I thought it was interesting that Izzo said that Booker's up 20 pounds too this week. Um, which tells me that, that there's some strength and conditioning, that is happening behind the scenes to to get him game ready. So maybe he can develop the way that Tillman did down the stretch that season. 
um, and find himself taking those six minutes and doubling them or, um, you know, finding that right matchup, like Izzo says, and just having a, a, a field day, um, even if it's even that means like six points and six rebounds, that's a big thing. That's a big step for him. Yeah, you know, that leads me to think of one thing I, from the five. And, and, you know, I think of Tillman and I think of Matt Costello and I think of some of the names people are bringing up of centers they've had in the past. And I know they don't have anybody signed for next year as a freshman center. But you're right in that those guys were not impact players early on. Matt Costello, if you recall, in his junior year, the final four year, was unexpected final four. They were a bubble team until late January, early February, even beyond that. You know, treated the ball like a hot potato when he got it in the post. Now he could, he could catch and finish a dunk, and he was you know a, a decent defender and rebounder already. His senior year was really good, but it took him three and a half years or more to not be a liability in certain situations on offense. Tillman was not an instant impact guy, um, yeah. and so when you don't see a five in the, in the in the class next year, I think you know people say, well, "What does that?" It might mean that they're planning to bring in a transfer. I don't know that that's the case, but if you are bringing in a transfer, it's not gonna you're not gonna know it until after the season. That person's still playing for another team, and so that's another thing to think about. Like if what you want is a transfer big man, then you don't want to know who it is or no like that. You're not gonna know right now. There's you know, um, in, in terms of fives, I, I, I'm gonna say that people know who's transferring and sometimes to where. Well, now, yeah, but you know. but but it's not I, on a I'm commitment not be list. Poly- on a- yeah, right. I'm not going to be Pollyannish about it and say that that coaches aren't already trying to figure that out and talking behind the scenes. The guys, I mean, we've heard that and we know that. And if you if if you aren't keeping totally. up with it, you know, you're you're already behind the curve. No doubt, no doubt. But what I mean is, it's not it's not like a it's not on a list like these are commitments, these are transfers. There's no right. portal list. There's nothing. There's nothing that's out there for everybody to, to know what's going on. And, and conversations sometimes happen, obviously, and and situations change. You know, you can have a, a great march where somebody transfer or you know decides to to, to transfer up or uh, or settles well, into a role at a program, and you don't need a transfer. Th- things can things can change. There's also the 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 big one, which is the coaching change situation that happens after the year. Yep. And we're not, not, he's not talking about Michigan State here. No, no, there will be guys that want to get out get out when their coach is gone. Then yep. when, even if their coach gets fired, if their coach, so there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty that comes with the portal. But listen, I mean, it, I think this is where Tom Izzo is trying to battle the now. Um, he's talked always about this being about relationships and finding the guys that. You know, you've okay. Let, let's throw a name out there. All right, we'll, we'll, let me throw a name out there. A guy that who, who Izzo has recruited previously um, and has found himself in a diminished role. Caleb First at Peru. Um, you know, I mean, do you you know is that is that the big man? Is that the one that matters? You know, or do you not want him because well, he's not doing anything at that school. You know, but he has an established relationship with him, and no, and and I think, but I think you can do both. I think you can be relationship first in a, in a transactional world. You, you don't want to do what you know what they've done at Louisville, or not Louisville. Um, Saint well, you don't want to do what Saint they've John's. done at Louisville, St. John's with eleven transfers, and you, you know, there, there, I saw, uh, and I forgive me for not seeing who had this out there, but 
the schools with seven transfers or more this year, are, none of them are headed to the NCAA tournament. You don't want to be those schools. You, you definitely don't. It doesn't mean you can't have your culture and, and add where needed. And I think Izzo is in a prime spot where this should be his strength because in, in a sport of diminishing legends, he is still one. And he is one who, um, you know, people think of them as a big-time school, big-time program, a chance to win, a chance to play at the highest level of college basketball. He ought to be a, a you know, and you're talking about recruiting 21, 22-year-olds rather than 17-year-olds. 21 and 22-year-olds are going to want that. They're going to want that, you know, to play at Michigan State, especially mid-major, top mid-major guys, top guys at losing, uh, I don't know if you want guys at losing programs, but you know what I mean, top guys around the country who haven't had the experience of that sort of chase to a Final Four or a Big Ten title. And then you keep recruiting the high school ranks. And you know what? If you don't need a transfer, then then fine. But 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 many years you will, and you can fix what you couldn't fix before. And that's going to be the difference, and that makes it less excusable not to have something. It used to be. If you didn't have a five, that's just how it, it turned out that way. Um, and developmental, it, it, it stunk, but that's what it was. You got through that year. If you didn't have enough shooters – I, you know that that's what it was that year, and it, it stunk. But that's how it all came together. Some guy didn't develop; it was hard to fix. You can fix all that now, and and and, and coaches like Bill Self who doesn't have enough shooters this year, and, and Tom Izzo doesn't have. It's a you know you, it, it's a hard thing to manage, but you know I I do think that it, there are advantages at Michigan State right now that that most places don't have. It is a, it's a fine line to walk. There are relationships that matter. You don't want to recruit over guys too early. You don't want to recruit over guys that you think are going to stay and develop into something great. You don't want to annoy them. There are lots of dynamics that are not perfect, but you also have a, a, a obligation to your team to put the best team forward that has a chance to win and, and get as far as they can. And, and, and you know, that's something that you, you also yeah. have to consider. We talked about this last night, though. It's, you know, you're also talking about, and I don't think I say this for Izzo, but I think for some of the other coaches who have gotten out of it, I mean, you're – you're going away from what is one of your cardinal tenets, um, your your foundational building blocks um, in what the portal has created, not just the portal, but one-time transfers and NIL. All these things have kind of eroded something that's a building block thing. And I think Izzo, um, at his core, and he, he is an educator. Um, he's a basketball coach, I think, first and foremost, but you know, baked in there is the educator side, the, the teacher side. Um, you know, Mark D'Antonio had that, I think, in him as well. You know, his dad was a, a principal. So, you know, and, and I remember asking him before, what would you do if you weren't coaching football? And he said, probably be a principal or coach somewhere. But I, I think that's that's kind of the hard thing for some of the, the that that generation of coaches to rectify, as well as the, the fact that players are now, and you can hear it in Izzo when he talks about guys. You know, what did he say last night that, you know, it used to be you could be 40, 60 uh, negative with a guy in terms of trying to get the best out of them, and now it's got to be 90, 10 positive. Um, that's that's a change that's tough for a, for a coach who's, who built himself on that. So there are I, – I think that's – you know, there's things that, you know – and, and I will say this, though. Um, Izzo has proven, if not, and I know fans maybe not don't see it, but I think he's been more than adaptable over the last five to eight years. Um, particularly, I think that 2019 Final Four run, the way the team reinvented itself after the Langford injury, then reinvented itself again 
after the the Nick Ward injury. I mean, he's he's good at working with the parts. He's you know he's gone out. He he railed against the transfer portal. Excuse me, before the transfer portal, he railed against grad transfers and went out and got Brandon Wood. Right, he's proven adaptable. And these guys want to win. I mean, uh, you know, Mark yes, D'Antonio. Yes. W- 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 I mean, Mark D'Antonio took an ill-fated chance on Austin Robertson because he was a defensive lineman. You know, like that, that guy wants to win. That has nothing to do with being an educator. That, that you know, and that's like, true. You know, and and you know, you go out and get Tyson Walker because you need a point guard. And and uh, they they want to win. They want talent. And uh, I I think there's a. I'm not saying that that Izzo doesn't long for the old ways. Doesn't want to do it his his way all the time. Isn't a little bit of a contra- contrarian at times, but. If, if there's an opportunity to improve his program and not ruin the culture, he, he he's going to go out and do it, and he should do it. You know, uh, I, I don't, it's, it is. Um, but those are those are off season things. Right now, you got the team you have, and I still think you know the the chance for this team to, to give people some joy in March is there. Uh, it just didn't look like it on <laughs> on Tuesday night. Yeah. Um, we will. Uh, yeah, we will talk more hoops. We'll come back next week after. Uh, after the Ohio State game, and then guess what, Graham? I feel like the camel in in the the commercials. You know, if we come back after the Ohio State game, um, it's almost March. Hey, Graham, guess what it is? Because what it is? What it is? It's March Madness. Oh yeah, like the hump day. Hump yeah, day, like hump the hump day camel. Day, yeah, like yeah, the hump day camel. Yeah, no, a mar- March is fun. Weather turns. Games feel important. It's uh, we are just <laughs> about. There, you know what? By the way, you know what should have been a uh, a, a tip off to what might happen is walking into Breslin yesterday. It was warm, it was sunny, and it felt like one of those March games. Mm. I guess Iowa maybe felt that a little bit too. There certainly wasn't any sign of the Fran February fade uh, uh, yesterday. And, and Fran was relatively placid all night. Very pleased now to be joined by my colleague Nathaniel Bott from the Lansing State Journal, who covers Michigan State hockey for us. Um, I have a feeling this is going to be a regular type of deal on Spartan Speak because Michigan State hockey has made themselves a thing again. And, um, you know, for the last decade, it really hasn't been that. But uh, they are four points up on Wisconsin with two series left, um, four points up on Wisconsin in the Big Ten standings. A chance even to close it out this weekend with a home series against Ohio State. Wisconsin uh, has two series left as well. They're at Penn State, and then they would host Michigan State. They do host Michigan State on uh, March 1st and 2nd, which may have Big Ten title implications, but may not. Um, Nate, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Graham. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, it's uh, – it's, I, I want to get into this team a little bit. How, how First of all, let's start here. How surprised are you – where this group is right now in the standings with how they played this season? Well, I would say I'm, I'm very surprised with where they're at in the standings. Um, I don't think anyone, even given how well last year really went for, for Adam Nightingale in his first year, I don't think anyone was expecting a, a Big Ten title or to really be up at the top this late into the season. And really they've been at the top of the Big Ten since the very beginning of the you know conference play. They've, they've kind of maintained that. Um, being the top dog in the conference, and um, I will say I'm not I'm not surprised with the way that they're playing in terms of the amount of talent that they were able to bring in, and you kind of saw last year the the change in style, more much more um, offensive minded, 
so that's not as surprising, but certainly some of the results that they've been able to put together um, have opened some eyes. Yeah, I mean, I. I thought, you know, I was curious what uh, last year I thought was a year where they maximized who they were. They had a bunch of veterans who played uh, above levels they'd previously been at. They had some good additions in the transfer portal, and they they, they came up a um, a game short of the NCAA tournament. And I th- I thought that was going to be big for this team because I thought, well, that'll give them something to achieve that they haven't achieved. In other words, it was also be helpful that they missed the NCAA tournament because just getting there would be cool. I had no idea that they were already ready to sort of take the next step and, and, and contend with well, the number four in the pairwise right now. They're in contention for number one seed, depending on how they finish. Um, and, and they're, they're, you know, securely in the NCAA tournament at this point. Um, the, this weekend is, is going to be interesting because there is now, I mean, there was going to be a lot on the line anyway. It's two games that do more damage for you than good if you lose in a lot of ways. But, I mean, there's a real opportunity. I mean, there, there's a chance Wisconsin doesn't pick up all the points at Penn State and that Michigan State does against Ohio State, and all of a sudden the Big Ten title is is over. Oh, two wins and a Wisconsin loss where they did not – where they, you know, came up – where they left three points on the table um, would, would do that. So – I guess the question would be, um, when you looked at even as well as they were playing the title uh, implications a couple weeks ago, the idea that they would be able to wrap it up potentially this weekend seemed far-fetched. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at what, what Wisconsin's been able to do, and um, obviously, you know, playing Michigan, that you kind of throw the records out the window, and you know, with, with that series. So for them to be able to, to sweep Michigan and then get a little help from from Ohio State last weekend. Um, yeah, certainly wasn't expecting this weekend to potentially be a Big Ten title clinching one. Uh, looked like, you know, all all eyes were pointing to, to Madison next weekend, and that was going to be the showdown for the Big Ten crown. But um, it's definitely not out of the realm of possibility that the Spartans are able to, to sweep Ohio State, who hasn't won a game on the road in, in the Big Ten all year. And then Wisconsin, we just saw struggle on the road to the Buckeyes and they're going to have to go to a pretty hostile place in Pagula. So um, definitely in the possibility to clinch a Big Ten title this weekend. When you watch this team play, where are they Where are they good? What makes them – I mean, obviously they've had a, a freshman goaltender who's gotten better and better and looks terrific. Um, you know, you've got a top five pick in Leshinoff who's, um, you know, looks who's, who's the real deal. They seem to have good depth. Uh, but where, when you see them as like a potential national contender – winning the Big Ten, what makes them so What makes them so different than even a year ago? We kind of mentioned it right there. It's, it's the depth. Uh, you know, they have all 12 forwards who regularly, dre- regularly dress, all have at least 10 points. You know, they have 11 guys who have scored seven or more goals on the year, including two defensemen. Um, you know, you look at their fifth nationally in total goals with 120, and they don't have a single player in the top 45 in points in the NCAA. So you just look up and down all four forward units are, you know, they don't take any shifts off and, and anyone can hurt you. So I think just that depth and, and just the quality of talent that they've added up front, you know, they're, it's easier for them to get inside and get into really good scoring chances. And, and we've seen it. I mean, they've 120 goals, you know, last season, they put up a hundred for the first time since 2011, 2012, you know, this year it's even more improved. So, I think it really starts with that, the depth at the Forbes position. And then, you know, they've been pretty sound defensively, and, and Augustine's come up big for them in that too. So 
little bit of little bit of everything, but really the depth of the forwards has been been the real key. I've been impressed by their responses to a few. I mean, obviously the Boston College series early on, right? They got a little bit outclassed, and you know, we may get a chance to see them against that sort of team down the road and find out if if they've closed the gap or if if there's still another another place they've got to get to. But I, I, I've, you know, the Michigan game when that. The the seven one loss at Munn that was so bad, and then to get outplayed is for thirty minutes the way they were the next night, and then to respond to that and then compete, you know, against Minnesota. I mean, they have just been. I, I don't know. There is a there is definitely a um, a character component to this team in terms of how they respond and 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 a poise in certain moments. And they've had a couple slips here and there. Obviously, that's 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 sports. That's hockey. That I beyond. I mean. What what has stood out to you in terms of that that component of things? And I, and I'm um, we were sitting next to each other in that Michigan game, and I remember thinking about thirty minutes in, like this was gonna this was only gonna get worse. What what has stood out to you in terms of their ability to change situations and to respond to adversity? Yeah, you know they they've been one of the best third period teams in, in across the country. So um, yeah, their responses have been good. Um, I think there's there's a real calmness kind of throughout the team. I think that starts with Augustine, you know, and you have a goaltender that's not going to get rattled, even if he lets in, lets in a couple or if he's playing with a deficit, I think that kind of goes through the whole team. That the, the sense of calmness kind of falls over all of them. And then, you know, just at some point, you know, the conditioning takes over a little bit. I mean, I don't think anyone in the country practices as hard as Michigan state does in terms of the way that of, of what Nightingale and his staff demands, you know, in practices. And then obviously, Having Will Morlock in the condition as a strength and conditioning coach has done wonders. So I think you see that in the third period, they start to wear some teams down, and then that's just about capitalizing on chances, and, and they've been able to do that. Do you have a sense of how much like a regular season title would mean to them? It's it's hard to get from Nightingale, like and and you know, and obviously if you go back to the CCHA days, the CCHA tournament had a lot of meaning. Uh, obviously, the NCAA tournament has a lot of meaning. Big Ten regular season title. And the Big Ten's only been around for so long. How much stock do they put in that? How much of a goal is that? How much meaning do you think that would have? You know, I think as the season's gone on, it's maybe gained a little bit of meaning. I think, um, you know, when they started out, they're just focused on themselves and, and playing to their best. But now when when that goal is so achievable and, you know, this late in the season, I think it I think it would mean a lot. And, uh, you know, a lot of these guys are, you know, used to, to winning through to their junior careers and, um, you know, you take a guy like Isaac Howard, who's one of the one of the best statistical players to come to the national team development program, and you know he's a he's a guy who really wants to win. You can point to you know a kid like Nico Mueller, national team who went through so much losing here at Michigan State before. Um, I think it it would mean a lot to those guys, you know, to really see their their rewards and their hard work pay off uh, with a league title. But um, yeah, you know, I think that's something that that Nightingale preaches a lot is is when you see those that hard work get rewarded it, it kind of it does mean a lot so if they win the big 10 and they can wind up with a buy in the big 10 tournament which i think is is cool in one sense the only downside of it is people have been waiting for them to like win a series in that tournament and have a home series and all that stuff for a long time and you miss out on <laughs> all of a sudden they just bypassed one of the uh, sort of milestones or or, or you know things they wanted to accomplish at some point. They would then be at home the next two weekends against good opponents and whatnot. But at that point, you're probably also playing teams 
where even losing isn't going to hurt you that much in the pairwise. If they're a one seed, you look at the standings and where other teams are, they're very likely going to St. Louis, right, in the NCAA tournament when you when you start to look there. But if they're if they're not a one, they could really wind up anywhere. Is that am I reading that correctly? Yeah, I think if you know the NCAA tries to do their best with with the one seeds and putting them in, in places that are closest to whatever regional that um, is hosting. So yeah, I think if Michigan State did get a one, they would they would probably wind up in St. Louis or Springport, which um, either one of those two. And um, then if they're if they're a two seed, it's just based on you know they're end up fifth in the pairwise, they most likely get paired with whoever the, the fourth in the fourth pairwise is. is. It's not, you know, if Wisconsin happens to jump them, they wouldn't put um, two in the two big 10 in the same, but you know, it, I think um, there's one seed certainly there. And, and, you know, I think a lot of Spartans would definitely travel to wherever they end up ultimately end up. Yeah. That is, that is sort of interesting that they, you, you 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 you're sort of you have some control when you're the the uh, top four, but then not. And and the other thing, even if they win it this weekend, in terms of where they're seated, there's so much still on the line. Like that Wisconsin series still matters. You go and get swept at Wisconsin, you, you may finish ahead of them in the Big Ten standings. You may be the Big Ten regular season champion, but they'll be ahead of you in the pairwise rankings after that. You know, or you know, if you lose immediately, then in the Big Ten tournament, and you know. You might you might wind up you know some spots down, so there's still a lot a lot to to be determined. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing Mun this weekend. Uh, I think it's going to be fun in the postseason that, that there will be a game at Mun, uh, at the very least one, and uh, to see that place embrace those situations which we just we just haven't had in in, in over a, a decade. Um, you've got a really cool piece uh, uh, coming out on. Um, on Thursday in the uh, in the LSJ, you want to tell people a little about that? Sure, yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's a it's a pretty long feature story on Carson Dorward, and um, it's put together a, a really good sophomore season for for Michigan State here. Um, Twelve goals, fifteen assists through uh, thirty games so far. But you know, you look at his story, and he's a kid who, you know, only had three points in his first USHL season heading into Christmas, and. You know, a lot of those kids who plan on only one year in the USHL, they're they're getting, you know, they're accepting their college offers or pledging their allegiance to schools early on in that process. So he was a kid who came on late, but by the time he started to show real capability, teams had filled up and um, he was lucky he got a call from Jared DeMichael freshly after he got hired at Michigan State. And you know, within about a week, he was committed here and, um, kind of changed his whole hockey trajectory, um, but he's been a, a certainly a welcomed addition to Michigan State um, as an alternate captain and as, a, as just a sophomore. So um, his story's been been pretty impressive, and uh, it was one I was glad to tell. Well, you can read that story at lsj.com and, and the Lansing State Journal and all of Nate's work covering hockey. Um, he'll be out there uh, this weekend at Mun. I'll be out there Saturday night as well. And uh, lots of lots of good stuff to come uh, on the hockey front, and uh, over the next over the next month at the LSJ. Uh, this has been the latest edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and USA Today Network. Please rate, subscribe, uh, you know, do whatever you want to. Just uh, uh, be kind if you can. Um, we will be back uh, next week. Thanks for listening.
just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.